going to turn to God's Word this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. We're just going to come back to the series that we've started. For all these things must come to pass. And this is the second part of the man of sin. Second uh, Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 1. Then we're going to uh, go over into 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, then we'll go over into 1 Peter chapter 2, and then after that, as we work through it, we'll go back into Daniel uh, chapter 2. So that's the three main uh, areas that we'll be looking at this morning, just to give you some time to get to that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we just give you thanks for your presence in our midst. We just pray again, Lord, for your help, for your anointing upon your word Lord, would you come afresh to us, Lord, and break the bread of life, O God. Lord, we just pray, O God, this morning, Lord, again, as we just lift ourselves before you, Lord, we're mere men, Lord, with clay feet, but Lord, we pray that the breath of God would blow, Lord, that you would touch us both to preach and to hear your word this morning, Lord. We ask in everything, give us eyes, as has already been prayed, give us eyes to see and understanding and wisdom in these things, Lord, we pray that, oh God, that your name will be glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Second Thessalonians and chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled nor by word, nor by letter us from us, as that day, the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, or a defection, or a departure from the truth. And also that man of sin will be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then he says in verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. It was important, again, in the early church that these things were discussed and they were uh, brought forth to the church, the revelation of the man of sin, the departure from truth, the coming day, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember just in those first couple of weeks that Jesus told us, Matthew chapter 24, don't need to turn there, but concerning all the events that will take place in the last days and also the things that are recorded in the epistles, Jesus said these, th these words, for all these things must come to pass. For all these things must come to pass. Every word that the Lord and every word that is jotted in this book will be fulfilled to the glory of God. That's God's word this morning. If you turn over in uh, to 1 Peter then, and chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and this portion of scripture that we read might seem not in connection, anything in connection with the, what we're looking at this morning, but it will, it will unfold as we go through it this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. 
Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the church will say, Amen. It's good to be called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And if you've obtained mercy, would you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for the mercy of the Lord. Amen. The, The culmination of the present age, the sure and the soon and the sudden coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be marked by two things. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Lord says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, it will not come except first there is a falling away or a departure from the faith. Also in that time and that season, there will be a spiritual climate that pervades and abounds. It is satanic and it is an antichrist spirit by character and by purpose. It is antichrist by character and by purpose. Now in those first couple of weeks, we talked about how that spirit will infiltrate every aspect of our lives, every area of our lives, of our society, politics, education, environment, so forth. This antichrist spirit will infiltrate every aspect of our society. It's already upon us. It's happening currently at this time. So we need to go back this morning to the book of Daniel and search the scriptures to understand what the Bible says concerning uh, these things. In the book of Daniel, it's a well-known story. He's a well-known man of God. We're taught about Daniel, thank God, from an early age. The great stories of the three Hebrews boys and Daniel in the land's den and so forth. He's a real man, lived in this earth at a time when God's people Israel had been taken from their homeland and from Jerusalem. The temple had been destroyed. The treasures had been pulled out of the temple. And the king of uh, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had taken those treasures and taken the people of God captive. Daniel lived most of his life, nearly his entire life, as a captive in Babylon. He is a remarkable character. He's worth a character study in himself. But in this book of Daniel, what really would strike you also is that God revealed to a heathen king, he would reveal to a heathen king a vision of what would unfold after he died and also right up to the end times in which we live in. I just pondered that for a moment, that God would bring this dream to such a wicked man. But there's a purpose in everything of why God does what he does. In this book, we find that Daniel had the ability by God, by the Spirit of God, to bring the revelations to King Nebuchadnezzar. This dream that the king had, God would purpose that his people were there at that time 
to bring around the revelation and the secret of even men's hearts. What I'm saying this morning is Daniel had an answer. And praise the Lord, in this world we live in, we've got an answer. And his name's Jesus. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Daniel himself, and just very quickly looking at his life and his character more importantly, because that really is what a Christian is. Their character is more important than their ministry or their talent or their gift or how they look or how they sound. What's really important, what is the substance of a man or a woman is the character, that character like the Lord Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit of God in their lives. Tells us about Daniel, even though he was taken as a young boy, they reckon maybe he could have been as young as 10 when he was taken captive of the royal household to be brought to Babylon. But when they brought him, it says in Daniel 1 and 8 that Daniel purposed in himself that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Now, I just want to point that out. He simply, you know, he might have been in a foreign world. He might have been in a wicked world. It certainly was. The Babylonian kingdom was absolutely wicked to its very core. But here's a young man who'd been purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. In other words, he knew he was separate from that world. He might have been in that world but that world was never in Daniel. And the Bible tells us this morning that we are a called people. What we read there, that we've been called out of darkness. That we're to live as separated lives. I know some of this language isn't so familiar in the modern church, but we are called to come out and be separate, saith the Lord. It's not I that thought that. God has said these words. We're to live a separate life, worldliness, that is spread into the church today, extinguishes the light from shining, and the salt will lose its savor. But Daniel had purposed, even at a young age of maybe 10 to 12 years old, he had purposed in himself that I'll not defile myself with this world that I've been brought to. In Daniel 1 and 20, it tells us that he was learned in the matters of wisdom and understanding. And that's not so much about that he was smart with education. He may well have been but that was that he understood his purpose and his calling and, and the purpose of God for his life. Wisdom that came from God and understanding. It tells us in Daniel chapter 6. Now, just so that you know, Daniel lived uh, over the period of time where there was four kings. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, 50-something years, 52 years, I think it was. And then there was three kings after Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in, the, in a period of six years. So he lived throughout the span of all these kings. But in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4 and 5, when they tried to find something against him, they were looking to try and find a flaw in his character, some way to trip him up. It says that they could find no occasion against him. In other words, he had an impeccable character. He had integrity. What his word was, was his bond. You could... You could lean on Daniel. You could trust Daniel. He was a man of impeccable character and integrity. And they were trying to find some way in order that they would trip him up. They were wanting him uh, to fall. But thank God, by the grace of God, Daniel stood firm. We also know in the same chapter, Daniel 6, that he was a man of prayer. He was a man that when they brought the law, they brought a law in 
What did Daniel do? And this is important for us. And again, I don't mean to try and stir things up or create fear. But I believe we need to blow a clear sound from the trumpet. That, you know, we are called to honor uh, the, the law and to honor those in authority. And we will do that. We, we live, we pay our taxes, we do what we're supposed We try to keep within the speed limits. If we break the law, we'll get points. We'll pay the penalty. We'll get the fine. We do what we're supposed to do because we want to live as good citizens and honor the law. But when they bring laws in that are contrary to God's word, and that's not centuries away or generations away, currently they'll be bringing laws in that are contrary to God's word. Well, Daniel just carried on according to God's word. He began to pray and seek the Lord three times a day. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of impeccable character. And then he was a man that was faithful. Really, you know, sometimes I've seen little pictures of Daniel in the land's den. And they show a 20-something-year-old boy standing there. Actually, Daniel was most likely in his 80s when he was cast in to the land's den. It was the latter part of his life. And in the end, we see an old man standing in the land's den. And God shut the mouth of every land because God was with him. He was faithful even right to the very end. Here's a king that's troubled with visions and dreams that he's having. And he seeks out his magicians, his his astrologers that could tell him the interpretation of the dream and none could tell him. Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Daniel hears of these things and inquires of what the king's decree has been. He was about to kill all the wise men that couldn't interpret his dream. But God had his people at that time, Daniel, the Hebrew boys, they were there. Daniel 2, verse 17, Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to his three brethren, his companions. And verse 18 says that they would desire mercies of God, of the God of heaven concerning the secret. God has the answer. He is the one that knows all things. And so what did they do? They sought the Lord. I believe it doesn't say this specifically, but he got his brethren together, his three friends, his companions. They got in to a place of prayer. They began to seek the Lord for mercy that God would reveal the secret unto them. And Daniel and his fellows, that should they not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then what happens? What happens in prayer? What happens in the place of prayer? Why prayer is important? both individually and corporately, because it's in prayer that God will reveal wisdom and understanding. It won't come from tapes or books or just chatting around and just having a wee yarn with each other. Revelation comes when we're before the Lord in His Word and waiting on the Lord. God brings the revelation. And this is what it says. Then, verse 19, was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The answer came. You know, if you seek him, you'll find him when you search with all of your heart. And this is the prayer of Daniel, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God, of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. In other words, although the revelation was to him, Daniel wasn't going to run around saying, I've got a revelation. He was saying, as God has revealed it. It's all God that has wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times, the seasons. It is God that removes kings and setteth up kings. Queen Elizabeth's on her throne today. She's only there by God's great hand and great power. It's God that's put her on the throne. And can I tell you something? It's God that will take 
Queen Elizabeth off the throne. And we need to pray that our Queen, Queen Elizabeth, like this heathen king here, would receive a revelation. God still brings revelation to kings and prime ministers and presidents of the world. And we pray for those that are in authority that they would receive the revelation that this nation needs to turn. And we should pray for our queen. We should pray for our prime ministers. We should pray for the future Taoiseach of the Republic of Ireland. It's going to have a profound effect on this island. So we should pray that God would bring a revelation to them and to their hearts. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He sets them up. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that knoweth understanding. He revealeth the deep and the secret things. God's a revealer. He's a revealer of the deep and the secret things. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters, in this room this morning? There's not one secret in this room that God doesn't know about. Do you know that? There's not one secret that God does not know about. He knows every secret, every thought, right down into the innermost being of every life in this room. God knows everything. What a mighty God we serve. This is what happens. He reveals the deep and the secret things. He knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's in the darkness. Did you hear me this morning? He knows what's in the darkness. God knows what's in, done in secret and done in the dark. God knows all things. He knows the thoughts. He knows He knows the trickeries of men. He knows the plans of men. He knows the schemes of men. He knows the plots of men. He knows the hearts of men. God knows every secret and everything that's done in darkness. He's an almighty God. He knows all things. The devil's not all-knowing. He's a created being. God is all-knowing this morning. Omniscient. Omnipotent. Almighty. There's no one like Jesus this morning. So he knows everything. There's not a secret here that God doesn't know about. The person beside you may not know. But I want to tell you something God knows. God knows. He knows the heart. He knows the thought. He knows what's held in the heart. He knows unforgiveness. He knows bitterness. He knows thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you think about a brother or a sister. He knows all those things that go on. And on the outward, well, we're all... But God knows. God's full of mercy. He knows what's in the darkness. And the light dwelleth. The light dwells with him. I thank thee, as is Daniel's prayer, and praise thee. O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. God has made known to three young men, four young men, in a prayer meeting in Babylon, one of the most wicked empires that this world has ever seen, four young men in a prayer meeting. Praise the Lord, he done it in Kells in 1859 with four young men, and he can do it again. Young men that just wanted to seek the Lord. There was no big fancy, we're going to do this, that, or the other. No great big plan, no great big shebeen, or no great big advertising. They were just simply, no, we'll do. We'll shut in with God tonight, and we'll seek the Lord, and the Lord's going to reveal to us His heart, and it's all glory to Him. That's exactly what happened. 
And so Daniel goes to the king, verse 27. It says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men. So here we see it's a little bit like Elijah with the, the old prophets of Baal. Like, where are you turning to for your help, O king? What about your wise men, your astrologers, all these great mighty men that you have? Can they not give you an answer? And so they're all standing there. They're petrified because the king's about to execute every single one of them. And Daniel's very clever in how the Lord led him and what he had to say. What about the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers? Can they not show it to the king? And so we can imagine at that moment, verse 28, just before we said, you can imagine at that moment when Daniel said that, it was one of those moments of silence. You can see all the great men, the, the, the philosophers standing, looking at Daniel, and he's saying, you got an answer? Not one of them could say a word. This is why we need to seek the Lord. But then he says this, verse 28, I want to tell you, King, all your astrologers, there is a God in heaven, praise the Lord, and he's still in heaven this morning. And he revealeth the secrets, and he maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be, look at this, in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of, of, of thy head upon thy bed are these. I am going to reveal to you. It is an amazing story. It's an amazing thing that God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the things that would happen in our time. Isn't that an amazing thing? But he's God. He's God. Verse 31, he says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold. Now we're just going to step through this step by step, if you don't mind. A great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. So now we're going to go through this for a moment because it's important in relating to the man of sin. It might Take us a bit of time. I'll try as best as I can to break it down and make it as simple as possible. I know we come to some things that are difficult, some things that there are different interpretations on. People go different directions with them. But by the grace of God, I'll try just to move through it slowly that you grasp it. Because these are the things that Paul talked to the church about. Some people might say, oh, it doesn't matter about that. You don't need to know. But Paul talked to the church about it. So I believe we should hear and talk about it as well. Verse 32. This image head was of fine gold. Now I want to point out. As you look at this image this morning. The image head was of fine gold. This is kingdom or empire number one. This is the first kingdom or empire. We're going to come to it in a moment. But I just want you to point out as we work through it. His breast and his arms of silver. This is kingdom or empire number two. Just very simply. And then his belly and his thighs were of brass. This is kingdom or empire number three. And then his legs of iron and feet of part iron and part clay, which is an important, this is important in relating to the man of sin, this fourth kingdom, this empire uh, that was revealed on the Nebuchadnezzar. Now go to verse uh, 36, 37. Here he says, this is the dream and we will tell you. So now, Scripture is going to interpret Scripture. So it's so important here that we begin when we find it very clearly that when the Scripture interprets Scripture, that's what we stick to. There's a lot of fanciful ideas, fresh books, fresh revelations, fresh this, fresh teaching, fresh YouTube things, all the rest of it. 
But when the book interprets the book, just stick to the book. Okay, just stick to the book. So here, very clearly, Daniel 2, verse 37, Thou, O king, kingdom empire number one, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the Lord of heaven hath given you a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thy hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Now look what he says. Thou art this head of gold. So we have a starting point. Do you see that? We actually have a starting point. We don't need to go searching anywhere else. Now we have a starting point as we look at the prophetic calendar and it begins to, here's the anchor point, if you like. We start here. So that's the Babylonian Empire, historically accurate, according to the Word of God, 605 to 539 BC, four kings that ruled over in that empire, Nebuchadnezzar, the man revealing this revelation. Daniel 2, verse 39, then he goes on to say, And after thee, so here we move forward in the prophetic calendar, now after thee shall arise another kingdom that's inferior, inferior to thee, his breast and his arms of silver. Now we know the second kingdom, the kingdom to follow, that first kingdom was the Medo-Persian empire. And here we see the arms of silver that was under Saras. You remember Saras was the king that God had raised up to bring God's people back from Babylon that they would return again. So 539 BC and so forth, God had raised this man up and this was uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. And another third kingdom of brass shall appear and shall bear rule over the earth. This third kingdom, we know, again, was the Greek Empire under uh, Alexander the Great, 330 BC. So this is this. So now we're working forward. I've gone away back to bring you through just slowly if we can because these scriptures are important. The fourth kingdom, which is going to be important for us, and it's important for in the day we're in, you might think, that's thousands of years ago. Has this anything to do with me today? It's so much to do with you today, probably so much you don't know. The fourth kingdom by, shall be as strong as iron, and the fourth kingdom we know was the Roman Empire. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, what an empire it was as far as how it conquered the whole known world. We actually today are still influenced by those empires. You may not, you may not realize that or recognize that, but we're still influenced. You hear often Greek astrology and mythology and all the rest of it. That's still very common today. Roman influence upon our lives is still around us. Roman numbers and all the rest of it. It's still influencing our lives today. These empires, this fourth empire is crucial. Now we have a starting point, and as we work through it, we see this fourth empire. Verse 40 says, The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. This is the Roman Empire. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdue all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. This dream is quite remarkable. This image that he sees that Daniel stand and bring in this revelation to this heathen king who had been troubled in his heart and in his mind. He wants an answer to what he's received. Daniel and his fellow brethren had sought the Lord. God had revealed the secret. And so Daniel begins to share with them with the astrology. I mean, it is amazing how God works, how God has his people in the right place at the right time to bring the word of the Lord in season. 
And there he stands, and these astrologers, they're all standing, these wise men, and God brings the revelation that this is what's exactly happening. And, and listen, O King, this is going to happen. This is what's going to unfold as the days approach. Crucially in this dream, Daniel chapter 2, if you go back to verse 34, I want to show you something. I don't know how far we'll get with it this morning, but this then ties us in with Peter. Because in Daniel 2.34, it says, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands. Here's a heathen king who's troubled by the vision, sees these four empires coming, the fourth being the Roman Empire. And it says then that he sees a stone that was cut out without hands. This stone comes from a mountain not made uh, from hands or human endeavor, but this stone is supernaturally catapulted, coming against this great image. And the stone smote the image upon. Where did it hit the image? On the feet. Now, what was the empire? I'm going to just test you. Were you listening? You haven't gone to sleep. What was the fourth empire? The Roman Empire. And the stone, where did the stone hit? It hit the feet. What is that empire? That's the Roman Empire that was hit. It was hit by this stone that was not made, that was not made from hands. Who do you believe the stone is? It's Jesus Christ. We know this stone is none other than the Lord. Now you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. At the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus was born in the midst of that empire, that Roman Empire at that time. But he wasn't born through human endeavor. Matthew 1 and verse 20. While he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her, this is not something that man has done. This is conceived by what? The Holy Ghost. So now we see that in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of something, a stone as he understands it, that is hurling towards this giant image that he sees, and it's going to strike the image upon the feet. Now as far back, if you look at it for a moment, as Genesis 49 and verse 24, if you go back, just in case you think, well, you put two and two together and got four. Well, the Word of God tells us exactly who this stone is. Genesis chapter 49, as far back there, and verse 24. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? He's the great shepherd. And then what does he call him? He's the stone of Israel. That's Jesus Christ. Psalm 118, where Peter refers to, and verse 22 says, The stone which the builders refused, this stone, praise the Lord, has become the headstone of the corner. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation. What does he lay? A stone, a tried stone, precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. This stone, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus, that stone hit that empire right at its feet. 
And that empire was destroyed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what they said? These men that have turned the world, what did they do? What did they do it with? Not a stone, not a brick, not a, not a, not a gun, not a dagger, not a bomb. They've done it with the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That destroyed an empire. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus said these words. Here's important words. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus refers to himself as the stone. Matthew 21 and verse 42. He says these words. Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. In other words, this hasn't been done by man. This is the Lord's doing, and it is what? It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, and here's important, as is everyone in this room, you're going to fall into these couple of verses here. Whoever you are or wherever you're from. But you got to know this this morning. Saved or lost. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. That's the Gentile age. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. I want to tell you something. There's only one way to come to the cross, and that's broken. There's only one way to really know true, deep salvation is when you fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and you bow the knee and you break your heart over your sin and you get a revelation of all that He's done. When you fall on that stone, you'll be broken, but praise the Lord, you'll be saved. He'll save you. There's no better place to be today than on the rock, which is Jesus have you built your house on the rock? Because the storms are coming. Not Dennis or Kira or whatever they get the names to do this. But have you built your life on the rock? Because when the storms come and when the rains come, if your life's built on the rock, it's going to stand. Only one way to come when you get a revelation of the cross. May God give us fresh revelations of the cross. Do you know what it should do with us? It breaks us. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, Lord, give us a revelation of those few words. Let us see really what it cost. Let us understand what it really means. Let us really grasp the sacrifice that you made. But if you fall in this stone, you'll be broken. He breaks us in order that He might make us and conform us into the image of Christ. He dwells in the midst of a people who are a broken. Brokenness is of the Lord. But listen, you may be sitting here and say today, well, I haven't fallen in that stone. I'm not really interested in hearing too much about this. I've got my life to live, my things to do. But then Jesus said these words, this is for you. But on whomsoever it shall fall. Listen, on whomsoever it shall fall. You'll either fall on the rock, fall on the stone, be broken and be saved, not just for time, but for eternity. But if you reject that, 
That stone is going to fall on you. Whomsoever it shall fall, this is speaking of the judgment of God, it will grind them to powder. Have you fallen on the rock? Have you fallen on the stone? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? This is speaking, of course, of God's judgment. Daniel chapter 2, again, verse 35. It says these words, Them was the iron, them was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken the pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer thresholds. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image, what happened? Here is a, here is a man. Jesus Christ had nowhere to lay his head. Died on a cross outside Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary. What happened? The stone that smote the image became a great mountain and it filled it filled the whole earth. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, all across the world this morning, there's a holy spiritual mountain, and it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the head. He's the stone that smote the image. And he says, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I tell you, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ are in prison in North Korea this morning. They don't have a chair to sit on. They don't have a PA system. They don't have a piano. They don't have a guitar. They don't have hardly any clothes on their back. They don't have a good meal to eat. They're sitting in prisons this morning, but they're triumphing in Jesus Christ. And we've got it all. And we've got everything. And we've been blessed. You know, I said to Nikki, I just the other morning, I just, something clicked. And I just went, my God, we're blessed. Oh, we are blessed. We have been given so much. We have, there's that song that says, we have food on the table. We have our bills paid. We have clothes on our back. And you know, we come in through the house of God this morning. Some of us, the most miserable people on the planet. And we say we're saved by the grace of God. And we have cars and houses and clothes and everything, and all the blessings of the Lord, and we're still not happy, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Yes, they were. They were destroyed of the destroyer. And so this image became a great mountain and filled the earth. The stone is Christ, the power of the cross. It hit the image but not only hit the image, but ground the image to dust. It's the power of the Spirit of God, the power of the gospel, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, but within three days, I'll build another one without hands. And he's building his church. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Hebrews, it tells us, sorry, in Hebrews 9 and 11, but Christ being come a high priest, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, praise the Lord. He's entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Paul says these words, 
in Ephesians chapter 2 and 20 that were built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief, what is he? The chief corner stone. Daniel 2 and verse 44, coming to a close in a minute. In these days of these kings, so we see that the stone would come in the days of these kings. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom. What about this kingdom? It shall never be destroyed. Praise the Lord. That should encourage you. If you're in the kingdom of God this morning, this kingdom's never going to be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left of another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand, what does it say? Forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Can I tell you, every word that was spoken in the king's chamber all those years ago, every word has come to pass. Every kingdom that he said would rise and fall, they have come and they have gone. And out of that fourth kingdom, which we'll come to next week, out of that fourth kingdom would come forth the little horn or the Antichrist, the man of sin that is about to appear in our age. Many people might think, what? How has this got anything to do with us? Brothers and sisters, we are on the edge of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know when. I think the foolish thing for anyone to do is to try to put dates on anything. That would be a foolish thing. But the signs of the age are all around us for the indicating of Christ coming and coming soon. What destroyed the kingdoms of this earth and what has stood as kingdoms have come and gone even through the dark ages for a thousand years Do you know what has stood the test of time? Do you know that has stood victorious through every generation? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kingdoms have come. Kingdoms have gone. Men have risen up and taken great powers and authorities over this world. But wherever it is this morning, God's people meeting. Could I tell you something, friends? We are part of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. How do we in these days then, what do we do or what do we say or how do we live these lives? Do you know, I just thought as we close this morning, I thought again of that shepherd boy, David. And when he went out against the giant and the giant that we face today, the Antichrist world that we're a part of, we're in, but we're not off. But we think of David of old with the Spirit of the Lord upon his life. And as he went over to the brook, what did he go to find? He found those five smooth stones, but he only needed one to take out the giant. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing else this morning. We have no other means or methods or ideas or ideologies or revelations of men, but we have one thing this morning for the giant, and it's the stone that the builders rejected. It's Jesus Christ. It's the name of Jesus Christ. That name that's above every name. 
We can speak that name, preach that name, pray in that name, sing in that name, rejoice in that name. It's a name above every name. That's all we have against this world. That's all we have against the Antichrist. It's simply Jesus. That's enough, friends. David needed nothing else. I believe that stone was placed in the river, as you do as well, not by man, but by the Holy Ghost. And it was that one stone against that giant that that little boy rose up in the power of the Holy Spirit and says, you come to me in your name, but I come to you in this name. It's the name of the Almighty God. And we know his name is Jesus. We have nothing else, but it is enough. It is enough. And there's an antichrist world. I'll go slow on this, basically next week when we come to Daniel 7, Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 gets a bit more interesting. And I know people go different areas and I respect that. I really do. But I'll share with you where we are and what that Antichrist system is. It came out of the Roman Empire. That's where it came from. That's where it came from. That's what the Bible says. And I know we're living in an ecumenical age And everybody's all together. And I'm certainly not trying to be mean. But I do pray for this one thing. God gave the Roman Catholic Church a reformation just about 500 years ago. And I pray that he would give it one again. Because what happens in a reformation is people come out. It's not the people. It's the system. The system's rotten, brothers and sisters. And I know it's not popular. I know everyone's all together now, all holding hands together. This is wonderful. But I want to tell you, friends, listen very carefully, because we don't know our history, and we don't really know our history, but brothers and sisters, this morning, 68 million, 68 million of our brothers and sisters were slaughtered by the Roman Catholic system. Now, that's a figure that people don't want to talk about, but I want to tell you something. That's the truth. And the answer is to pray for our dear brothers, our dear friends, because they're not brothers and sisters in Christ. They're in a religious system that has blinded them. Thank God for those that get saved and come out. But I want to tell you something this morning. We need to pray that they would be brought out of such religious darkness. Deliver them from myriology. Deliver them from idolatry. Deliver them from popery. And that's not just about, I know in the north of Ireland, I'm not talking about beating drums and painting the curbs. Brothers and sisters, I've been saved from that. I've been delivered from that religion. Talking about coming to know Christ. To be liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a system there that's wicked, brothers and sisters. And they hate this Christ. Right at the very core of it, they hate this Christ. May God give us the grace to stand and to proclaim Jesus and Jesus only. He is enough. He is enough. There's only one man we should ever confess our sins to. His name's Jesus. There's only one way that I can receive forgiveness of sin. It's not by crawling over mountains, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. May we pray for a reformation again, that God would bring a mighty deliverance. Oh God, deliver us from religion. But I tell you, as a close, I think the Protestant religion is as rotten as the Catholic one. In case you think, because you're called a Protestant, everything's okay for God and Ulster. 
I know, again, it's not popular in this country, but, brothers and sisters, it's Christ and Christ alone. Free us from all the religious chains. Set us free from religion. Deliver us, Lord. But the stone is Jesus. He's the mighty conqueror this morning. That's all we have, brothers and sisters. But it is enough. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you'd bring the revelation of your word to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would open our understanding to these things as we move through it with your help, with your hand, your guidance. Lord, would you lead us this morning, Lord, into the truth of your word. Lord, would you this morning help us each one to realize the great privilege it is to be saved, washed, our names in heaven, delivered from religion, set free by the power of God, and Christians, born-again Christians in Jesus, neither Jew nor Gentile, nor Muslim or Hindu, Catholic or Protestant, but just born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, this morning we thank you for what you've done in Calvary. We thank you, Lord, that that stone had destroyed that image, that power of darkness. We thank you this morning that we are free in Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray, give us the grace to stand in these days, having done all that we'll stand. Lord, undertake for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother David, Johnny, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand.